0: Mindfulness Mode 106.
1: When we're in a place of being mindful, we can actually observe that our ego's bubbling to the surface.
0: Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us. As appreciation for listening, I have a meditation infographic for you called Calm Your Busy Mind. This download focuses on breathing, exercise, and mantras. Get your copy at mindfulnessmode.com calm, C-A-L-M. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Julie Zuzek on the line today. Hey, Julie, are you in Mindfulness Mode?
1: Absolutely, Ruth. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> That's great. Julie Zuzik is a highly sought-after business coach and works with top entrepreneurs around the world. Recognizing her own entrepreneurial journey was an intense form of personal development. Julie helps entrepreneurs conquer their fear and limiting beliefs to remove the barriers in the way of success. Julie is also well-known for her edgy podcast, Conscious Business with the Corporate Yogi, Julie's core values are freedom, risk, love, growth, and adventure. She is living proof that your business won't grow until you do. So Julie, tell me how long you've been interested in mindfulness and where that came about in your life.
1: Yeah, well for me, I think my pack started right around the same time as my my spiritual journey, and that was about twelve years ago when I started to practice yoga. And at first, it was very much just you know the physical asana, going to yoga class just to be fit and um, keep myself uh, in regular exercise. But then, you know, as I'm sure you can appreciate in many others, once you get in that studio, other parts of yoga start to seep into your life, like understanding about meditation and about how breathing can really uh, help to keep you calm and relieve stress. And then you start to get into the philosophy of yoga. And from from that point on, really, I started to be um, really, really curious about mindfulness and how that could help me reduce stress at work.
0: And how does it help you reduce stress at work?
1: Yeah, well, for me, mindfulness is all about, you know, I have my morning practice of meditation. And then I have my mindfulness, which is really kind of what I, I call a tool that I put in my back pocket and I keep with me all day. So whenever I observe my emotions and I feel like I'm getting really um, frustrated or I'm getting overwhelmed or I'm confused, or I'm not focused, I always come back to observe my mind. And I can tell that I've sort of lost my focus of being really mindful in what I'm doing. So I try to proactively go through my day and really, really be intentional about what I'm doing.
0: Well, that's great. It sounds like you've really got this thing cornered. So you've been working on this. I'd like to know specifically about your meditation practice. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, well, I um I start every day with my morning meditation, and I do about an hour. And I actually I've used different techniques over the years. I'm currently working with Vipassana style meditation. Okay, are you with that?
0: Yes, I am a little bit, but I'd like you to explain it for our guests.
1: Yeah, okay. So Vipassana is um, a practice. Uh, it's actually an ancient practice that really. It's a different style of meditation because quite often with meditation, we think about clearing the mind and we want to be in a place where you're focusing on your breath and you're actually in a place of not thinking. So when thoughts kind of drift into your mind, your job is to pass them on onto the next cloud and try to keep that empty space. Well, Vipassana is actually a very, very different technique where you actively focus on feeling very specific sensations on the body. And so there's a very specific technique that you use, and you scan the body by trying to feel very minute sensations or tingling um, feeling on the skin to allow you to scan the body. And we start from the top of the head, we work our way down to the feet, and then we come back up again. And what I found is it's a really, really powerful technique because it allows you to intentionally focus on something and as you are practicing in depth, you can actually feel residual thoughts, memories, fears, kind of come to the surface and be released from the body. So it's a very uh, proactive style of meditation that does a lot of cleaning and clearing, so to speak.
0: Right. It sounds like it's really working very well for you, Julie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I started this style about almost five years ago, and it is. It is a fairly intense practice. The first time that you go away on retreat, they actually uh, request that you attend a 10-day retreat. And you do take a vow of noble silence, which means you don't speak for about eight full days of that. And, you know, that could be intense for a lot of people, but um, I'm a pretty, pretty strongly ranked introvert. So I find that something that I really highly look forward to is having 10 days where I don't actually have to talk.
0: Well, I'm surprised because you seem like such a bubbly, outgoing person that I wouldn't have thought you were an introvert.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. So what was that like? How did that feel when you were going for 10 days without speaking to anyone?
1: Well, the first time I ever went was really, really hard. Um, hard because, like I said, you have all these memories and residual emotions that are surfacing and you don't understand what's going on. But I also had this parallel experience of my ego was just, it was screaming at me because I had done all these other different styles of meditation. And I had also um, recently trained in Reiki, so I you know, was very familiar with accessing, you know, energy and power in my hands. And so I was trying to use those techniques. So I got myself in a little bit of trouble <laughs> from the teacher who, who, because they do request that as you're learning this specific style, you don't actually mix it with any other styles that you use. So she asked me to, to kindly stop doing my other techniques and really focus on the practice. So I found it um, very challenging the first time and very humbling But what happened was when I came back home after being away for 10 days, I sat in a coffee shop and I thought about two different people that I really wanted to reach out to and both those people walked into that coffee shop that afternoon.
0: Oh, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. So I was like physically manifesting in real time. And so as painful as it was, I saw the results. And so that's what really allowed me to keep at it and, um, and keep working through it.
0: Wow, sounds like a really powerful experience, Julie. I'd like to go back to your to your childhood. Do you remember back in those days any clues that you would later in your life be so involved in mindfulness and so involved helping other people with mindset? Oh
1: my gosh, that's such a beautiful story I was um Or a beautiful question, because I was just thinking a little while ago, I had a question I wanted to ask my mom next time I saw her, which was around um, automatic writing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but just, just the practice of sitting down pen to paper or pencil to paper mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to really be open to receiving guidance, any sort of divine guidance, or you know sometimes it's guidance within yourself that is coming, it's purely in your subconscious that you want to bring forward, and you can just sit there and start writing, and as you do, you get into this um, zone or this flow of actually having content come out Faster than you can physically write it down. And that's something that as I've been building my business and really, really focusing on my spirituality has come quite a bit lately for me. And it's funny because I have this childhood memory of actually what they call it early script writing, I believe. You might know the term as a teacher. Um, when children actually sit down and write like that when, yes. before they can actually read and write. So they're actually writing notes. And and that's something that I used to do. So I wanted to kind of ask my mom questions around that. Maybe that was an early sign that I had some sort of connection to receive information at an early age. I don't know, but it could be.
0: Yes, it definitely could be. Yeah, that's very interesting. So it will be fascinating to know what your mom says when you ask her that question.
1: I will. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So have you ever had any periods in your life that were just super challenging? I mean, you you mentioned about going to the retreat and how that was a little challenging. But is there anything that just jumps out at you that you had a struggle for a certain period of time and then finally it sort of broke and you were able to kind of move onward?
1: Well, I think there's, I mean, there's many points um, that I could pull out. There were, you know, many times in my corporate career, because I worked in it for about 15 years in corporate marketing. That was a very challenging time, just changing jobs. Um, but also, probably the more recent one would be when I chose to start up um, my business, The Corporate Yogi. That was something that I really, really was uh, received a strong calling to do, but didn't really necessarily want to be an entrepreneur, so I just kind of followed the flirts from the universe to do that. And it was really, really challenging, because it called me forth to grow at a level that I didn't really think I was ready to do. And so it really kind of, you know, pushed me into putting myself out there and stepping up to public speak and facing a lot of the fears that, you know, I had that I'd sort of been able to get away with when I had a job. But, you know, as you know, when you're running a business, you can't Sort of, and you have to be a thought leader and you have to be able to public speak. You can't be shy and want to be behind the scenes and, and in the shadows. You can't have both.
0: Right. Yes, right. Well, I'm interested in your corporate life when you were working in that world. Did you use mindfulness at that time and did you use it with some of the people that you worked with?
1: Oh, good question. So that was the last few years, really, I would say the last five years or so when I worked in corporate was when I just started to kind of get into yoga. And again, it was sort of yoga. And then I added on a bit of breathing. Then I added on a little bit of meditation. And so um, I was at that point, I was starting to really observe the ego at that point and observe energies and interactions with people. And so I would say the mindfulness is something that I definitely started to do, especially in the last few years. And what I found was as I was allowed to Um, really observe myself and my reactions in people, it allowed me to have less conflict or to actually observe conflict and not get wrapped up in it because I could sense that people were saying something that would trigger me or really upset me. And so, yeah, I think definitely mindfulness was, was a great tool to help me reduce stress, but also to have better relationships with people. Because I think that when we really, really understand ourselves better, we're able to be in relationship with other people better.
0: Yes, I think you're right. And so when you're working with coaching clients now, and you see that that person just isn't being open to something that is glaringly obvious to you, how do you go about helping them understand what is going on?
1: Mm -hmm. I love it. So, so What I see the most often is that scenario, and it's very specific. It goes from we're having a very intense conversation around fear and what's going on inside their heart, and then they go to this place, I can actually physically see them go up to their head and they start to narrate, I call it past telling. So they go to a place of, well, you know, I always do this. And they start talking about themselves in that third person. And they have taken themselves out of that icky, uncomfortable, awkward place of discussing what we need to discuss. And so that's something that I see quite often. People will be in their heart. They'll be vulnerable. They'll be in an awkward place. But then all, all of a sudden, their ego comes in to like take over and say, okay, this is too, too uncomfortable for us. We need to talk at a big picture level and get out of this, you know, emotional landmine. So some of the tools, I have many tools in my toolkit that we use. So some of them might just be calling it and presencing it and say, hey, you know what, we were in this place and now I I notice that your egos kind of come into the room. We've got this third person here and just kind of presencing it to them. Um, There's lots of other tools that we use. Sometimes we identify what their saboteurs are because we all have – you know, that negative voice that goes on inside our head. And sometimes it's, um, you know, an image consultant saboteur that's worrying about what other people are thinking about you. Or um, we have like an overachiever or perfectionist saboteur that, you know, has to have everyone in the world think that we're perfect. And so just kind of bringing in that saboteur language can be another great tool because, It's kind of adds a little bit of levity, you know, to to bring in this other sort of character and talk about it in in that sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. So Mindful Tribe, I hope you're really jotting down notes about what Julie's saying. You know, she's just giving us so much information here about how to get right a hold of what's going on. You know, what's your ego doing? What's happening? Identifying that negative voice that we all have at times. And is it because of your perfectionism or something else? So Julie, thanks for sharing all these things. You've talked quite a bit about ego, and I'd like to dig in a little deeper with ego. How does ego hold us back and how do we get a hold of it so that it no longer does?
1: Oh, well, that's, I mean, you're the expert to answer that, right? Because when we're in a place of being mindful, we can actually observe that our ego's bubbling to the surface and trying to uh, take over and take control. The way that I like to explain it is we all have this little um, comfort zone that we live in. And inside our comfort zone is everything that we are familiar with doing, that we're capable of doing, or that is comes easy to us. And then we have the places that exist outside of our comfort zone. And those can be new, and they can be scary. And I always think of your ego as wanting to keep you small and safe. It's just a natural human law that you know the more you do outside of your comfort zone the bigger you're going to grow and your ego doesn't want that your ego wants to keep you small it wants to keep you safe because then in that place you're easier to manage and to control and your ego also kind of entices you to compare yourself to others right and to measure how much you've done and how much you didn't do and just kind of bully you around right i think really your ego is the ultimate bully that we all have to deal with.
0: Yes, it really is. That ego is just at work all the time, bossing us around, isn't it? And and to be able to know how to deal with that and how to confront it. And well, sometimes it takes help from another person, doesn't it, Julie?
1: Absolutely. And that's why I love, you know, where I've sort of come up with this notion of thinking about conscious business in terms of being absolutely mindful and conscious about what's going on so that you recognize when you go, you know, if I can point out to a client, well, every time you have this something new to do, you make up this other excuse that you have to go clean the fridge or your kids need to go on a trip or whatever it is. So it's that kind of procrastination and that sort of avoidance to do the things that you need to do. That's where we need to get conscious and observe the ego because that's making up the story that all these other things need to be done where I need to keep them focused on what absolutely has to be done. And so the more conscious I can make them to observe that pattern, then they can start to pick that up for themselves and say, hey, you know what, whenever I feel this calling to clean the fridge, I know that I'm clearly avoiding something else that really needs to be done that is scaring me. And so you know, to be, to be purely conscious and start to see those patterns is a really, really powerful thing.
0: Yes, it sure is. Julie, I want to talk about parents because with my mindfulness clients, I find that this just always comes up, that even no matter how old the person is or no matter how grounded they seem to be, there generally seem to be parent issues in there. Can you address that and talk to us about how mindfulness can help us deal with that?
1: Well, I think for many of us, we have a lot of patterns, like relationship patterns that happen. And when we have age-old patterns, especially with family, they can be trapped at a very young age. So, you know, I'm one of four children and I'm a middle child. So for me... Um, I, I rank in a certain hierarchy in our, in our sibling um, makeup. And so that sort of pattern sort of follows through my whole life. But with parents, sometimes we have a certain relationship with our parents that we've developed at a young age. And if that's kind of the way it's always been, we don't ever take the time out to say, hey – you know what, things are different now because I'm an adult and I'm a grown-up and I have my own children. So we don't really take the time to sit down and revisit what those relationships actually are and how they've changed. And um, so I think to pull in the mindfulness question, which I think is is where you originally started, I think to be mindful and to observe again what your emotions are will help you understand when those... um, those ancient patterns or triggers or family relationships come up, and you can observe them rather than respond to them or play into them.
0: Right. Julie, I've worked in bullying prevention for some time, and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can make a huge difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about a specific bullying situation where, you know, maybe mindfulness would have helped?
1: Thankfully, I was never bullied as a child, and I can't really think of a specific example in my childhood, but I will say there were sadly many instances of bullying in the corporate environment. You know, we have, we have this belief that once we grow up, we're going to be emotionally responsible, and sadly, that's really not the case. So I've seen quite a few instances of bullying happen uh, over the years in, in grown, grown people, mostly males. I'd have to say, because I worked Mm -hmm. in a very um, male dominated environment. Right. Technology. Yeah. So I would see quite a lot of that. And and it's uncomfortable because I think one of the one of the saddest um, parts of bullying is that you don't understand how much pain people are in. Like there's so many different perspectives to look at the whole system. So to look at the victim, obviously, um, who we're so empathetic to, but also to the bully, who is is obviously in a lot of pain. But then the people who are around those two other people in the entire system, they all play a part and they're all deeply affected by the bullying as well. So in my specific instances that I can think of in corporate, the bullying was happening with people who were more senior than me. And Sadly, I didn't have the courage to ever step in and and say something or do anything about it. But I truly believe if I would have had the courage to sit down and talk to my boss or talk to the other people involved in the bullying and let them know how much it affects me and it affects the rest of us in the environment or in that meeting, I think it probably would have made them a lot more conscious of what their impact is of what they were doing.
0: So, Julie, do you have any remorse that you didn't speak up?
1: I do. I I really wish. I know in that moment, not regret, obviously, because I know in that moment I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the confidence or the courage. Right. You know, because it's part courage, but then it's also having those access tools and those you know the specific language that you can, you know, be able to bring to a situation that isn't going to have an emotional charge because the last thing you want to do is put fuel onto a fire, right? So now that I've done my coach training and and have lots of experience with how to handle situations, now I can I can tell my younger self what what to do and how to handle it. But I know in that point I, I didn't have courage, but I really wish that I would have.
0: Julie, have you ever had a client try to bully you?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Well, that's good.
1: Yeah, I I joke sometimes that I live in a bit of a bubble. So um, I also am a yoga teacher as well. And so I'm pretty plugged into the yoga community. And a lot of my clients are either spiritual or just very uh, self aware. So I tend to only <laughs> work with people that, you know, that are nice, that are responsible, that are um, conscious and mindful. So Yeah, thankfully, I haven't been bullied by a client, and uh, I live in a very happy little bubble.
0: That's great. That is really, really good. Julie, you've talked about spiritualism a couple of times. I'd like to just ask you, what does that mean to you?
1: Mm. So for me, I, I define spirituality as understanding that we are all as beings connected at an energetic level. And I also believe the other part of it that is really important to understand is that there is something out there beyond you and I, beyond the physical body, that is an energy that we are all connected to and plugged into. A higher source, you know, we all use different words that we feel familiar with. Um, I, I tend to gravitate to using the universe that feels comfortable and right to me, but I do believe that there is a higher power out there that is beyond any of us that, um, we all have access to and can be a part of. And so spirituality is really important to me because It gives me a little bit of um, my guiding principles, which is thinking of everything as either connection or separation. So whenever you have a decision to make, whether you're trying to decide, do I act up or speak up in this situation and have the courage to say something, you ask yourself, is acting here going to help us feel more connected or is it going to make us feel more separate? So if, if someone has a critical comment and is trying to pick a fight with someone. Obviously, that's an action that is going to cause separation. So that's kind of how I think of it.
0: Right, Julie, I share a lot of your views. So I really am glad I asked that question. Julie, my next questions are part of the multimode round, just short 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice?
1: So I would have to say that would be an author. Um, I would say Deepak Chopra is one of the first authors that I really took a deep dive into that helped me be on my spiritual path. And I think he's got a lot of great, um, amazing books and courses and programs. And I feel like I've learned a lot, you know, just from studying him.
0: How has mindfulness affected your emotions?
1: I would say I'm more able to observe my emotion and I'm more calm and I don't react in an intense sort of volcanic way like I used to when I was younger. I can really observe scenarios and say, "Okay, you know what? This is really upsetting me because XYZ. Is that what you meant?" And then the other person can say, "No, that's absolutely not what I meant." So, I can talk through things without having a an um, you know, an intense emotional reaction. And I really think that's from being from being so mindful and from all the meditation work that I've done.
0: Right. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be?
1: book i'd I'd love to recommend actually and and this is obviously coming from a business background so Mm -hmm. um i'd love to recommend thrive by ariana huffington and and the reason why i love that book is she really talks a lot about meditation and mindfulness but she does it from a place of really not from a conceptual high level you know philosophical perspective that is sometimes too hard for people to grasp. She gives a ton of great examples, case studies, and very specific measurable results that people can understand. And sometimes I find when people, sometimes we need to prove things to people before they believe in them. And so I think that's a great book because it really has, you know, specific tools and facts and stats.
0: Excellent. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful?
1: I don't have an app for mindfulness. I do have a meditation one that I use, uh, Calm, C-A-L-M. That's a great tool. Really, really great tool.
0: Yes, it is. I use that one as well. What advice would you give a person who's new to mindfulness and would like to start using it in their life?
1: To be patient, please. And, you know, I find so often people have so many questions. Am I doing it right? Is this, you know, just observe your emotions and trust that you will get it right. And just keep at it. Don't stop every day or so to observe whether it's working. Just keep going.
0: Julie, you have a fantastic podcast called Conscious Business and you teach and teach and teach in that podcast and I am really impressed with it and so I'm just wondering if you will tell Mindful Tribe more about how to get in touch with you and what you do and just about that part of your business.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So um, so thanks for so bringing up the podcast. So that is a weekly podcast that I do and it is Designed specifically for entrepreneurs, but between you and me, um, it's, it's advice that really applies to anyone, whether you're running your own business. It's all about mindset, and it's about really fusing spirituality and business. So that's really cool, so people can check that out. Or they can check out my website, which is thecorporateyogi.com. You can reach me by email there. And I also have a really, really cool tool that um, I'd love to share with your community. So, Super. Yeah. So it's a breathing exercise. It's actually uh, Nadi Shodana. I don't know, know if you're familiar with that. It's called um, Alternate Nostril Breathing. And it's a really, really powerful way to refocus your energy And, you know, as we are moving throughout the day, our dominant energy is moving from the left to the right hemispheres of the brain based on whatever tasks we're doing. So this is a really powerful tool that people can use to rebalance out their energy and allow them to refocus when they're switching tasks throughout the day. So if anybody is interested in accessing that tool, they can go to my website to download it. So if you go to thecorporateyogi.com slash mindfulness mode, I put up a special page Uh, just for your listeners, where they can access that. And um, please go ahead and ask me any questions that you have.
0: Oh, that's super. Thanks very much for that gift for Mindful Tribe. That's excellent.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
0: It's just been such a pleasure to talk with you today. And I look forward to listening to way more episodes on your podcast. And just want to thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us today.
1: Oh, Thank you, Bruce. Thank you for the amazing work that you do, not only in preparing this podcast, but in your passion to help people with bullying. I just, I feel like that's such an important thing. And I really, really love that you're calling attention to it and giving people practical tools.
0: Thanks so much, Julie. You take care. Bye now.